Our responsibility is to create the conditions for the millions of men and women that work in our industry to go home not only safe at the end of the day, but healthy. And that healthy is a lot of different things. It's mentally healthy, it's physically healthy, it's great habits, it's great knowledge, it's great wisdom. So have some courage to get out and walk in the place where it's uncomfortable. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, it's a it's a gloomy day today in the summer, uh, kind of fitting for our topic, but the sun will come out again, right? The still sad heart has ceased repining behind this. Off clouds are a sun, is a sun still shining I'm in Florida and it's peeking its head through right now yeah <laughs> and Khalil I yeah. disagree about this being gloomy because it's raining and that is not gloomy uh, no it's actually kind of nice we need yeah. it right yeah like every dad would say man but we where, where are you guys at? Oklahoma we are, are you in Oklahoma as well we yeah. are we're both in Norman are you, are okay. you in Tulsa Greg no, no, I'm in, I work out of DC, but I'm based in Florida. Oh, okay. Just telling Florida, Martin about that. So I'm, I'm with Associated Builders and Contractors in Washington. Uh, okay. And I've been there uh, since 2015. Okay. And uh, prior to that, it was, I was in the construction industry. Uh, you know, it was a career choice that I made coming directly out of high school. Uh, and it was, the best kept secret in America. And I believe that to be true. Uh, you know, I, I was a young man that had the opportunity to go to college, uh, but my uh, father needed me to get a job between now and the time that I was supposed to show up when I got that scholarship opportunity. Uh, and I took a job, an old deacon at the church told him, he said, hey, uh, they're hiring out at this paper mill out there, laborers. And I think Greg would qualify for that. And I went out there and it's like, I found my calling in life. I said, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's been a, a wild ride and a, and a fun one. Let's talk about it. So you got into construction industry at a young age. Uh, how did you grow and evolve in the construction industry over time? Well, for me, uh, I kept looking at what everybody else was doing around me. Uh, and there's this this thing inside of me that's just called a lot of initiative, a lot of pent-up energy. Uh, I knew that my first job in construction, I was going to get tired of that very, very quickly because it involved a shovel and a ditch. Uh, but there were guys walking around on that job site uh, that, you know, had the Tony Lava lizard skin boots on and the big belt buckles. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do they do? Uh, and so you're, you start looking at ways to move about. Uh, when I started in 1978, I ended up spending 30 years with that organization, uh, all the way from a laborer to working uh, with the founder of that company. Uh, and it was an incredible experience uh, for me to serve in a lot of different capacities. Uh, I chose early on to step into more of the administrative and accounting side of the business, uh, material control, procurement. Uh, I saw the warehouses and I said, I can do these types of things. This is good stuff. <clears throat> and 
you know, throughout time, just going from job to job to job. Uh, I was hourly for uh, about half of 30 years, maybe, traveling around the country from job to job. Industrial environments was my arena, so we weren't building houses or strip malls or, you know, high-rises. We were building refineries, petrochemical plants, pharmaceutical facilities, so it was big industrial jobs. Uh, and I got to travel all over the country with some of the most exciting people that I'd ever met, uh, did some of the most exciting projects I've ever seen. And uh, it became probably almost an addiction to me to stay in it because I, I just had to have that next job. I had to have that next opportunity. And uh, leadership played a large role in this. And I think this is the unsung part of our industry is we have a lot of great leaders in our industry. Uh, we've got a lot of great people that want to share, uh, you know, their experiences and the things that they have learned, they want to teach other people. And that was the blessing of my career. Uh, again, at the end of a 30-year career with one organization, I decided to jump ship and go to another company. Uh, and I stayed with them for uh, nine years. The backstory to all of this uh, is that I was always connected to Associated Builders and Contractors. Uh, ABC became an organization that in both companies that I worked for, one for 30 and one for nine years, uh, I had served on local boards at local chapters like what's in Tulsa or Oklahoma City. I'd served on national committees uh, and worked uh, in that arena. As a matter of fact, I like to joke and say that uh, Mr. Ted Kennedy, and that's not the senator, that was the founder, one of the founders of BENK, I had a really high expectation for anybody in leadership uh, on one of his projects. He said, there'll be two things that you will do day one. Uh, one of them uh, is to make sure you meet your banker locally because your payroll's got to go through the system. Our workers will get paid. And number two, make a connection with the nearest ABC chapter and find out how you can get connected to them. And so with that rolling in the back of my mind, I was able to connect to a lot of different chapters, uh, and over time, an opportunity became available to me to go to Washington, D.C., uh, and work on behalf of an industry uh, that has afforded me such a great opportunity, but not just me alone. The millions and millions of people that work in this industry uh, are seeing some incredible opportunities uh, for sustaining wages, career dreams being developed, owning their own company, I mean, it is a business that literally when you walk in the front gate of any project in America and you begin to see what's out there in front of you, you can take it in a lot of different directions. You yeah, know, the thing sure. that I'm hearing, uh, ABC, of course, this episode uh, isn't entirely about ABC, but uh, the continued relationships, mentorship, growth. I mean, there's some political arm to it. But what I'm hearing from you that's coming through loud and clear is it was your attitude, yeah. right? I mean, it, you're walking on a job going, working in a paper mill is the coolest thing I ever saw. <laughs> well, I've been in a paper mill, yeah. and I'm not, that wasn't my first thought. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wasn't you know, there working, but I think it's great. It's, it's when you begin to see, in my world, it was an awesomeness, you know, the kind of that awe experience. Uh, coming from, uh, 
you know, kind of a family background that, you know, kind of, uh, I was pretty driven uh, as a student. I, I wasn't a good student uh, in high school. I was an average student. But walking in there and seeing this ballet of things happening, you know, cranes and loads and lifts and equipment moving about, it just really went off on me and said, man, this is, this is pretty organized. This isn't chaotic. This isn't, you know, my first impression was that I was going to go out there and I was just going to sweat a lot and dig a lot of holes or paint a building or something. But I got to see what I was doing very, very quickly. They were using a crane behind me to lay ductile iron pipe in the ditch that I was digging. And it was just an amazing thing. And the people that I, I had met began to explain to me what I was doing. It wasn't just that I was doing a J-O-B and getting a paycheck at the end of the week. They were telling me, listen, you're building a new paper machine inside this building. You are, are on this side of this facility. You're, you're building a, a new power bore, a, a, a chip-fired or wood-fired bore that's going to generate power to keep the turbine running, that's going to keep the paper machine going. And, I, you know, my mind was like, you know, this is, all right, I'm dating myself. I was a Lincoln Log, not a Lego guy. But I, this was Lincoln Logs going up, and I was like, this is the coolest thing I ever saw. You know, uh, something else, the, everything you're saying, oh, man, it's perfect. But what you're also talking about is you saw a purpose, and your leaders were smart enough to tell you you're not digging a hole, shut up, and just get to work. It was, right. this is why. And that's something we talk about a lot uh, is in, for the business and for people working in the business. There has to be a why. Anyway, it's great. have to interject that. You know, the last thing I'll say about that point, you know, Martin and and it's, it's really important. I said it earlier on that construction or a career in construction industry is the best kept secret in America. And the reality is, is once a young person steps into this arena or a second career individual steps into this arena or even a veteran comes out of the military service and steps into that arena, now that they see what really happens there, it's an incredible experience to go this is bigger than me, and I want to be a part of it. And the Velcro effect just connects quicker than most people think. You know, it's just not promoted. And we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot over the last 40 years uh, because we've said that for some reason, again, I don't want this to come out as if I have anything against people that have gone to college, but we've raised that bar that said, in order for you to be deemed successful, you've got to go have uh, a degree from some university in America today. And that's just simply not the case. You know, there are careers out there. And the beautiful thing about working in Washington, D.C. is when I get the pleasure and leisure of speaking to Mr. or Mrs., whoever they may be, that's got their JD and their PhD and their MBA or whatever the case, they're all their initials and their congressperson this or representative this and that. I tell them, so listen, you, know, you can call your lawyer on a Saturday night when your toilet doesn't flush, but he ain't going to fix it. You're going to have to call a plumber, you know, and that's, that's where the value is. We've relegated it to something less than, but these four-year apprenticeship programs, these four-year craft-based education programs, you know, we take for granted the infrastructure that's around us, the roads we drive on, the buildings that we meet in, the infrastructure around us. These are bright men and women that build these things. They're not a group of people that have become disenfranchised with college, they right. chose another way to be successful. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Absolutely. Especially these days, I think with college being coming so expensive, I mean, the, the tuition prices, the fees, I mean, they're, they're insane and you can go in debt hundreds of thousand dollars, or you can really go into the trades and after a short apprenticeship, start making more than you would make with some of these college degrees that are out there. So I think as a, as a younger generation starts to, you know, grow up and see what's out there, they need to take the trade seriously because I like, especially the service contractors, like plumbing, HVAC. There's a huge shortage in those industries. So right now, definitely, when we, when we look at it, Kelly, when we look at it now, we're we're at a deficit of well over half a million people, human beings that are qualified and competent to do the work. Now, where does that number come from? You guys are bright enough to understand the word back, backlog, but I don't want to assume that anybody does. But when we look at what the the deficit is as far as workforce, we look at backlog. And backlog is really work under contract yet to be performed. In other words, I'm finishing this job, but this is what I'm going to need to go to the next job. And the backlog indicator is very steady right now, and there's a lot of work to be done. And when you start putting work hours to that, you can do a mathematical deduction and say, okay, that's the number of humans. And we're well over a half a million craft professionals to do the work that we've got scheduled for the balance of this year in 2024. Wow. How, what, as you look at the types of employees that you're, they're lacking in the workforce, is it for certain types of, is it technicians? What, what are the, the roles that are really lacking? Sounds cliche, but everyone. Uh, let me give you some more stats. On average in America today, you take all of your major four-year institutions that have a college degree construction management program, and there's a lot of them. Let me be real clear about that. There's a lot of them. But we graduate less than 4,000 of those students per year. We need project managers. We need construction managers, okay? The, the men and women that step in as what we call helpers or apprentices that can build the skill sets to eventually become a certified, if you will, craft professional in all trades. Obviously, mechanical, uh, the HVAC side of things, plumbing, you know, electrical, that's what the residential community is going to see more of a shortage on or multifamily housing or high rise in the commercial market. But, you know, when you begin to think about infrastructure and those things that are going to release in America today, they're happening in industrial facilities. And so we need them not only on the streets, on the service industry, as you said a second ago, but the infrastructure side needs those individuals too. So, it's a delicate dance that we have to do between our contractor base that is a service provider to a community or to some market share, their value proposition, versus the Leviathans, as I call them, the bigger contractors that self-perform a lot of this work in these refineries, these petrochemical plants, these big you know, coal-fired boilers, these nuclear facilities. That work has to happen, too. So... It's a massive number. I do want to come back to one thing when you, you said it a moment ago about the amount of debt that most students walk out of colleges with today. Here's two anecdotal pieces of information for you that you can check, uh, but I don't have the numbers and facts. There are many of our young construction management professionals graduated from universities today. They are being hired as juniors before they even had their senior year. And they're promising to pay off their college debt if they'll come to work for them. Right. That's how, right. that's how that's happening. 
And then you take a young person that's coming into the industry that, you know, makes a great living wage. They work every day. This is what, you know, ABC Oklahoma does out there. These young men and women work on a job site every day, but show up for classes in the evening to hone their trade and their skill. So there's a zero balance there that says, I'm going to, you're going to earn and learn your wages. I'm going to pay you to get smart as opposed to take from you to try to make you smarter. Yeah, I know a number of project managers that graduated from OSU. Jeff Finney is one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and uh, he's gone for miles now. One thing, Khalil, I wonder how we're going to name this episode because we're listening to one of the most enthusiastic people that we've ever had on, which I think maybe we need to have you on like every other month just for a <laughs> shot of adrenalism and positivity. But the topic today is going to be in stark contrast, I think. Um, well, why don't you talk about, Warren, why you, why you made Josh Greg in the first place? Yeah, I... Set the stage. Uh, I set the stage as I'm always looking for people to put on the podcast. I'm always working with clients. One of the things I notice when I work with clients is that they have a mindset that is oftentimes negative or at least limiting. And that got me interested in imposter syndrome, which is... Uh, which we had an episode on it uh, with Carolyn Hugens, I think here's pronounced her name. And I, I got real interested in that because I see it everywhere. And in the course of doing that, I started talking with people about that. And they said, well, oh, well I, get, I think I was Googling it and I saw a Caterpillar, uh, like the yellow machinery Caterpillar, had a webinar on uh, the mental health crisis in the construction trades. And they said it's number one of, I don't know, of, occupations, it's the number one suicide rate. And I thought, what the heck? So I reached out to several people on there. Matter of fact, I've been looking a long time, so thank you very much, Greg, to find an authority, I'm gonna refer to you as an authority, who can speak on this topic, because as I brought it up with clients and people over coffee, they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so evidently it's awareness as a topic is spreading rapidly. And so I've been looking for a long time before we found you, Greg, so thank you. But uh, it was shocking to me, and I have lots of questions about it. So I don't know how you – so we're talking about mental health, in, in particular suicide, and, you know, the kind of questions that pop in my mind, is it growing? Has it always been this way, but we just identified it? Why is it growing? What can we do about it? How can you recognize it? How do you know it's not just an attitude behavior? How does management have to change? So I can ask all those things again, but I bet you can answer them all just by. Well, I can, you know, and when we begin to think about this, this really boils down to a couple of things. Um, This is who's wearing the hard hats, but this is what it's about in America today and why mental health matters. Uh, What's, what's, you know, we've we've done everything you could possibly imagine, and there will be other great leaps when it comes to protecting the safety of our employees. Uh, the, Im- the, the, the leaps that we've made from the 70s through the 80s, 90s, and even into the 2000s, just in the types of PPE that they use on a job site, going from plastic hard hats to carbon fiber helmets now, you know, to yo-yos on safety belts. I mean, we've done great things in that space, but one thing we've just not done well in our industry 
is look at who's wearing the PPE, who's who's under the hard hat, who's standing in the boots. Um, and when and when I begin to think about this, as you asked a second, Kelly, uh, the question, it's from the C-suite to the concrete. You know, it, it really is from the corner office all the way down to the young person or the seasoned person or second career person or veteran that is out there doing the work, turning the wrench, pounding the nails, digging the ditches, pouring the concrete, whatever that may be. And it's it's not missing anybody in between there. We're seeing suicide in, in, in America today is a societal issue, okay? But in our industry, long about 2018, some data, as I would say from being a good Southern boy, and I know an Oklahoma person would understand this, but data started to prairie dog up there that said, wait a minute, in 2018, there were 1,008 fatalities. That's 1008, 1,008 fatalities on construction projects across America. But that same year, there were 5,242 deaths by suicide of those that worked in the construction industry. When I, listen, and I, I, I say all this from the backstory of a moment ago, that I grew up in the industry, right? Which is the only career I've ever known. But I somehow just kind of nodded to it. I just didn't acknowledge it, you know? Uh, and I don't want to give the impression that these things are happening on job sites. Most of these men and women that die by suicide, this occurs in an environment where they have access to lethal means. And this reality boils down to shocking me to a point where I started to look around for others. And that's where we started up CFMA, the Construction Financial Management Group, or Management Association, began a, a look at the impact financially, if you would, of medical-related incidents on construction companies, suicide being one of those. And through a network, I made connections with the leadership of CFMA and several others, and we decided to do something about it. We said, listen, we are going to raise a red flag. We're, we're, we're not going to give up. We're going to go after this thing hard and harder than heavy. And that's when we started the Construction Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention. The average person every day deals with, and I want to I clarify for the audience that's listening here, I am not talking about the, the bipolar schizophrenia here. I'm talking about depression, anxiety, those things that we deal with every day in our day-to-day -day walk. That impact on people missing days from work has a financial impact on a company. And that's what began as a genesis is why this is a big issue. But now it's just blown up into something that we say we've really got a challenge. So when that data came out from CDC, and that construction was put at the top of a list for suicides in America today as far as an occupation. Is when we said, we don't, that, I like to build a lot of lists, great careers, good wages, all of these things, but I don't want to be on a list that says more people die by suicide in your industry than any other industry out there. That's not a good list to be on. Yeah, to frame it, uh, the one I'm looking at, I got through a link from your site, but uh, for men, it's 53 per. 53 suicides per 100,000 employees. Five times. It's a lot. It's five yeah. times. And then yeah. when you begin to look at the demographics of that, that the yeah. average age of suicides in America today is around 47 to 52 years old. 
you know, uh, what is our aged population? Okay, we've not done a good job of recruiting and backfilling our generation in this construction. So the average age of a construction worker, 42 to 45 years old. So you've got this whole thing that's happening there from an aged population, part of the trident effect. We've got an aged, seasoned population, whatever you want to refer to yourself as, that are prone to muscular skeletal injuries. They're working schedules that are longer, shorter, tighter than they've ever worked before in their life. And, and they're, they're working schedules that are shorter, more compressed, longer days, harder hours. Technology has removed some of the barriers, but they're still working hard. And I'm telling you, what I could do in my 20s, I cannot do in my 40s. And as a result of that, I start coping, coping being through both legal and illegal substances where addiction begins to happen in America today, as well as I'm talking about caffeine. When you see a young person walk onto your job site and you open their dinner bucket out there and you see they got a six pack of Red Bull just to make it through the day, there's a problem there. So I'm not talking about the stuff that we think is legal or illegal. It's coping, whatever it is to cope. And then they wake up one day and the reality crashes down around them that they're addicted, but they've kept it a secret and they don't want their wife or their mom or their dad or their kids to know this. And it drives them to a point of darkness to where they feel like the only way they can save face, to be honest with you, is to end it, to get out of the cycle. As I said, the third, the, uh, the trident effect, the middle of that is really the veteran community. We're not doing enough for our veterans that are coming out of the military today. We give them a pat on the back and they walk out the front gate out there from any transition and base in America today. Good luck. Thank you for your service. But at the end of the day, these men and women, while they're in theater or even not in theater, they saw more on a Sunday afternoon than I'll see watching NASCAR for three hours or watching right. my favorite football team. And we think somehow because they put a hard hat on, they left all that in the front seat of their pickup truck. And that's not true. And so now you've got a veteran population that has a lot of cross-pollinating skills that work really well in our space. And we're doing very, very little to help them manage or mitigate life on the outside of the military. And then the last thing I'll say about this, trident effect, is young people and, and, and what we're seeing, what they're, you know, there's statistics out there that you can Google that tell you the number of suicides that have actually been placed on TikTok for people to watch. There are statistics out there that say on that platform, within two to seven seconds of a young person hitting that platform, they are giving some sort of suicidal ideology to those young people. They're giving them, if it's a young lady, they're seeing this stuff on body imaging and all these types of things. And so when you begin to think about the impact of social media, and what is de-isolating and desensitizing people from what we take, all of us, natural skills. You know, we're not even talking about COVID. CDC is saying that we're three or four years out from even knowing the impact of COVID on a generation that didn't get those skills. We know there's going to be an impact. Social isolation, that's one of the biggest, you know, things that we see when people start to withdraw from society and they start doing these types of things. You know, that has a mental impact on their maturity level or what have you. The, the real challenge here is even the young people today. I mean, you, you can look at just about any headline on any of your favorite rags, whether you believe the stuff or not, and you'll see somebody that has died by suicide. You know, you, you'll just see it. I mean, and these are people that, quite frankly, have no reason to die. I mean, you would think the, the young man Twitch 
You know, I'm just calling him out for what I know was a suicide. Admittedly, here he is living the high life. He was a a winner on this. So you think you can dance now? He's DJing for Ellen DeGeneres on his show. He's putting all this stuff out on social media about how happy his family is and all these kind of things. And then you find out that the young person died by suicide. How do you do this? Or Miss America? Or even a country music legend like Naomi Judd? And let me be real clear. These people didn't take a few sleeping pills and step off the edge. These people actually ended their life with a weapon. Right. And so this is real in America today. And we need to embrace that and say we've got a mental health issue because if we ignore it, it doesn't solve it. It just means we're ignoring it. It's well, not going to go away. How can one of these uh, good project managers, somebody who's enthusiastic like you are, middle management in, in direct contact, what, how can they recognize when something's not just a bad attitude and what can they do about it? I mean, I'm sure in 10 minutes we can't give them a crash course in psychology, but what, what is a, an so, attitude shift that might make a difference? Yeah, I, th I think the, the, the attitude shift is awareness and courage. Um, you got to be able, this is not comfortable for anybody to think about. It's even less comfortable to deal with on the other side. Uh, we kind of whisper the word suicide today like we did cancer in the 60s and 70s. You know, she's got cancer or he's got cancer. And we still whisper that suicide. And the reality is, is the vast majority of people that die by suicide are not the extremes of mental health, whether they be bipolar or schizophrenia. It's right in the middle of somebody who's dealing with something that is just worse than you could ever imagine. And it just ruined their day, you know. Uh, John may have been left leaving the house on a Tuesday morning and his wife ha handing him a set of divorce papers and says, I'm checking out. And he's got to drive to work to make money. And he just, he doesn't leave that in the front seat of the pickup truck. He takes it through the gate. So it's having the courage to ask and, you know, ask and say, stay long enough to hear the response. It's not that, are you okay? That sounds good. But do you stay long enough to really ask and see if you can get them to help? So we yeah. have a responsibility. One of, one, one of the men on the Caterpillar webinar, uh, you would know who he is. He's PhD. But he said, nobody ever committed suicide because you said to them or asked them, have you ever contemplated suicide? Are you thinking about killing yourself? Yeah. That will not push them over the end. No, they won't. And there's a question. Matter of what fact. Do you, what, do you, what do you do if you get a Yes. So, so, so this is, this is the truth. This is where the construction industry lies for suicide prevention. CIASP is what we refer to ourselves as. And this is, this was all a genesis of that data that we started finding. We stood this up. There are resources out at preventconstructionsuicide.com. Okay. That website, everything you see out there is available to be downloaded and used on job sites from toolbox talks to assessments on your organization and where you're at in these things. So a group of us got together and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put it all out there and we're going to make it absolutely free so that the small contractors as well as the big contractors are doing the same thing. And so just remember that, preventconstructionsuicide.com or Google, the Construction Industry Alliance for Suicide Prevention. There are resources out there 
you know, I'm, I'm right now advocating that every organization out there get their frontline leaders certified in mental health first aid. Just like we learned to do CPR and put on a bandage, there is mental health first aid courses out there available that these men and women that are dealing with the frontline workers, they can start to recognize the signs and symptoms of someone who's in distress. And as you said a second ago, what do you do with it, Martin? I'm not telling you to deal with it. I'm telling you to get them to somebody that can deal with it. And don't, before you pat yourself on the back and say, well, we've got an EAP program, do you know what the least used benefit of any benefit in America today is? An EAP program. So let's get real and roll up our what, sleeves. What it, what's an EAP program? An employee assistance program. That's basically, oh, okay. it's, you know, the, That's the, sort of... the, the, the counseling or the, 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 the other okay. opportunities that you have, financial guidance, those kind of things. The, the challenge is real. And the first thing we've got to do is have the courage to say, you know what, we're not perfect. And it can happen to, on my job site or it can happen in my workplace. Now, full disclosure, I'm a chaplain. And, you know, last year uh, in 2022, I dealt with nine different suicides of construction workers. Now, again, as I said a moment ago, they didn't necessarily happen on the job sites. Many of them happened after work or off hours, if you will. But it becomes that awareness is one thing. Prevention is another. And postvention is something completely different. And that's the reality when you're looking at an organization that loses someone to suicide, it didn't just affect their husband, wife, partner, significant other or child, it affected everybody that individual works with. So postvention is something you need to find in your zip code. Who provides that service? Do you have an American Society for Suicide Prevention of that AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, in your zip code that can help you if that happens, just deal with what we call the collateral of a death by suicide. So it's having the courage, Martin and Clay, to jump out there and say, you know what? I don't know what I don't know, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask, and if I don't know, I'm going to get you the help you need. Uh, and, and it's time to roll our sleeves up and get dirty with the people that we work with every day. Are there statistics out there, Greg, about where, like the source of the suicide, uh, the motive, you know, I, I know there's statistics about like, was there a weapon involved or was it drug use, but is there a, a source of what the motive is? Is that, are there statistics around that? Yeah. I mean, there are some governmental agencies like NIOSH, uh, National, uh, uh, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. Uh, they've and, got some data. You can look at CDC. The, the challenge, okay. Clay, comes this way. Is just because somebody dies by suicide or left a note doesn't necessarily mean it's a death by suicide. It's a very long process for yeah. that to be deemed. And that's when you read the headlines, you know, uh, source of death undisclosed because it typically means it was either an overdose, whether it be intentional or intentional. So there's just this thing that happens. The obvious ones are when they hit a job site or when, you know, you, you hear the rifle shot or you do X, Y, or Z that there are data, but I would, I would go to institutions like the 
Center for Disease Control. Um, yeah, you know, and look at their data stats and see what they've got. Because I, 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 you know, I think about some of the the biggest stresses in life. You mentioned divorce, you know, relational issues, um, but even. I think a lot of times in the construction industry, you deal with people that aren't as educated on how to manage finances, for example, or you, you mentioned like caffeine and substances, but I mean, what are the things that we can be doing? Just, I mean, obviously asking how they're doing uh, is a crucial part to that, but even giving them certain life skills um, and talking about things that truly matter, uh, I, I, you know, lunch and learns come to mind. Obviously that's not necessarily enough always, but setting them up with a financial planner. Um, there's so many things that like that that can make a difference, right? It, it, it does. And, and I'm proud to say again that I work for Associated Builders and Contractors. And, and one of the things that we have, we've made a transition uh, as an organization making available to our 22 plus thousand members that are out there is an approach called total human health. Okay. And this is where you really are getting to know people. And, and, and the essence of, uh, total human health is focusing on a lot of different things. Body being physically right. Do they have the PPE? Are they safety equipped, et cetera? But where's their mind at? Where's their head at? Okay. Because you say the person that has a divorce, their, their son could be in a hospital. Their kid could be in rehab. Their daughter could have run away. There could have been a thousand things that when that individual puts on that hard hat, at least laces up those steel toes boots, it's still there. And so we've got to make sure that we promote these mindfulness moments to say, listen, I know you don't have your life completely together just because you got a hard hat on. And we got to promote those opportunities for people to go in that direction or ask for that assistance without shame or embarrassment. We've got to be very vocal about that. Okay. We've also got to talk about soul because the soul wants to connect. A person's soul wants to connect to what they're doing. You said a moment ago, Martin, when we started this journey early on, that I, I was able to make a connection to it. The vast majority of people today want to make a connection to what they do. And it's not necessarily the work. It could be the community good that comes out of that. You know, it could be those extracurricular projects or opportunities to get engaged. And then also you begin to think about that heart you know, what is their passion? Are they just doing it because it's a J-O-B or it's a career? Now, blended in all of that body, mind, soul, and heart, you got a young person who was, no, I'm not trying to disparage, you know, people that work in fast food industries, but they go from flipping burgers to making 12, 14, 15 bucks an hour versus seven bucks or eight, whatever it may be in their geographic location or even 25 bucks an hour, you know, they don't know what to do with this kind of income. And so, as you said, teaching them financial responsibility, teaching them, you know, hey, you've got obligations here like child support that you need to pay. You've got a mortgage or rent you've got to pay. Let's be smart about this. And let's just not assume that they cash the paycheck or you make a direct deposit and they know what to do with it. So it really is courageously getting out in front of people. And saying that when I don't have a false expectation that because you worked on that turnstile or you came in the front door, that everything about you is as good as it looks. Because you know what? That's a cover story. And everybody's got a cover story. We've got to get beyond the cover story and find out what's moving on. Well, and I think two things that come to mind here of getting beyond the cover story and having that human connection 
Martin, we talk a lot about having a solid culture at your company and an investment in culture is also an investment in the person. It's an investment in that connection and having a value in who they are as not just an employee, but as a person Absolutely. and looking for people that have those similar values. So really investing in your culture and creating those opportunities for connection is huge. Like having the team meetings that are, you know, scrum meetings right before you, you still, you're on the job site before you get to work every single morning, it's an opportunity for connection. Having the grill out and inviting family members to come for a, you know, a little meal and 4th of July hangout, whatever it is, that's an opportunity for human connection. Uh, bringing meals to the job site or, you know, those are great opportunities. But, you know, you also think about, I think about the people that are probably the most stressed at times are these project managers or even the owners of the business, because it's a whole, another, whole another set of stresses that are out there. And especially when you have a team of people that don't understand the challenges of, are we going to make payroll this month? Oh, that's right. You know, are, are we, are we going to, uh, win that job? Are we, you know, it's, it's, it's the, we're being delayed too much. Are we going to make it on time? Those are really hard uh, challenges that when you're on the team with everybody as the owner or the, you know, the senior level uh, person, you mentioned C-suite to concrete, uh, they don't necessarily understand it as much. I think there's a value of being in ABC or the other associations that are out there so that you do find the peers that you can find that connection with at a real level that understand what you're going through and you can have those conversations with. So I think culture is a huge one for people and being able to establish that, hey, we care about you as a person. And then two, finding the associations and the groups uh, that you can connect with at that leadership level that will understand what you're going through. So those come to mind first for me. The, the beautiful thing about what you just said is it just kind of puts that big parachute out there. This is labor neutral. This is bipartisan. This is about men and women in America today. So swallow your cotton ball, forget your tattoo, tear off your patch, because this is about the men and women that work in our doggone industry. And you can say you've got the answer and keep it to yourself. And that's a sin. There's people still die. So you need to share. That's one of the things that Associated Builders and Contractors, Associated General Contractors, CIASP, CPWR, NIOSH, OSHA, we've all said we're all in on this thing. And so you can't simply hang a sign on the front gate saying you care and answer this problem. It's not until you do the things that you just said, Colleen, that, that really makes that difference, you know? And we're seeing a move afoot in both small and large contractors to engage chaplains on the job site. This, I'm not talking theology and dogma here. I'm talking about somebody who is just the ministry of presence, getting to know people on that job site and saying, man, you act a little off today. What's going on in your world? How can I help you? Okay. Can I get you to some help? We're, we're seeing where they're, they're educating their frontline leaders in mental health first aid. We're, we're seeing that they're putting together peer groups, what they call after action groups that they'll knock off 30 minutes early during the day and put that crew together and say, okay, tell me about the good thing that happened today. And what was the bad thing that was challenging today? And you know what? That camaraderie over time, I've heard men in groups, men, because I've been in men's groups that have said in the beginning, well, you know, I hit my unit rates today and, you know, I couldn't find a side grinder in the tool room when I needed it. And that was kind of my peak and pit. 
Okay. And then after a few weeks of them getting together and going through this cycle, he says, man, I hit the unit race today, but man, I couldn't get my mind off my kid. You know, I, I couldn't get my mind. And all of a sudden you've got a different connection there that says, how can I help you, man? Well, I'm having a yeah. problem with daycare or my kid's an addict, man. And I don't know how to, I'm, I'm, I'm distracted because my daughter ran away from home. I, all of a sudden you've made a human connection there that not only it's an empathetic, sympathetic connection. It says, I want you to be better. You know, do you know, you know, I want you to be better. And here's how we're going to do that. We're going to help you deal with this, you know, and get you the assistance, the counseling into rehab for your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, whatever that distraction is. That's where the power of that group and see, I can, you can, Martin can, all of us can make all the noise we want to on these platforms. But where it's going to make a difference is in whatever your zip code is. If you'll take these things and start doing it in your zip code, you will make a difference. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, there's some great leaders out there that come to mind that probably handle this topic very well. I think Martin, we had a great one on our podcast, James Freeman from PJ Fitzpatrick out in um, Pennsylvania, New York area. Um, but I, I'd love to hear, Greg, who are some of the people out there that are, you know, boots on the ground doing this really well? And what are some of the common practices that they're using? Well, there's a, there's a, a lot. And, you know, I don't want to come across as endorsing people, but I can tell you some of the ones that we're using. Um, you know, we partner with Construction Working Minds uh, and uh, Sally Spencer Thomas of that group. Uh, they uh, do some really good awareness education. So our commitment as a chapter, which you guys know our chapter, um, our commitment is to have one of those, uh, uh, what we call a mental health champion based in every one of our chapters across America that can actually help in these times of need. Um, and so that's one best practice that I think our association along with others uh, are doing uh, out there. Uh, many of the companies that that we're seeing are, are really doing these at, you know, they're taking advantage of September being Suicide Prevention Month and really kind of focusing on that for the month and raising awareness on this. And so they're doing toolbox talks out there. Uh, they're, they're out there standing at the back of the pickup truck, sharing this information. And those are those are available at ConstructionSuicide.com. Uh, you can download those and use them both English and Spanish. Uh, they are actually bringing in, as I said a moment ago, chaplains to come in and just kind of walk the job and establish trust. Uh, they are doing leadership sessions to explain the culture of the organization. But I think what it boils down to the most is where they see leadership, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. You know, it's it's not realistic to think if you're a multi-billion dollar company that the owners or owner of that organization can be on every job site. But here's what you can be assured of is every lieutenant that they see as a leader, whether it be regional job site project managers, they are equipped and ready to deal with this. And the employees know it. There's a sense of culture there that is trusted. And so we know the more we get involved in the everyday lives of the men and women in our industry, um, we know that they'll come play with us. We, we know that they will share with us. Uh, we just got to be able to ask the right questions. Really fantastic, Greg. I think something that also comes to mind, and you mentioned it earlier, 
uh, about the financial impact of mental health in the industry. But on this podcast, we talk a lot about, you know, the objective purpose of business being to make a profit, to get more cash. And I think there are probably people out there that, yes, they value the human life, they value about, they value their employees and they care about them. And maybe on a grander level, they may even be thinking, but is that really my responsibility? But, you know, if that's not enough purpose for you, that there's, there's people that are suffering out there that are on your team, on your payroll. If that's not enough purpose for you, what is the impact to a business? Just sort of, I, I can kind of think through a small business uh, very clearly, but what is the financial impact to a, a business owner, construction owner who has an employee that maybe commits suicide? Well, as we, we speak in big numbers, $193 billion of lost earnings every year. Wow. Due to mental health issues. And again, I'm not talking about just the extremes that we all think bipolar is good. I'm talking about anxiety, depression, those types of things. On average, a mental stressor like anxiety or depression, if left untreated or undiagnosed in a way, whether I can get you help, can lead up to 27 lost work days, okay, per year. Now, when we've already got a shortage of people, the schedule's shorter than it's ever been. We're working long hours, and now you're telling me that if I don't address your depression, anxiety, or whatever that may be, that I'm subject to 27 lost work days on a schedule that is already incredible out there? When you think that one in five adults and teens, you know, are going to suffer from some sort of mental illness in every given group, so do the one potato, two potato, three potato, four, five potato. That's, you know, that's how real it is in your organization, right? And then when you begin to think about it, 60% of these go left untreated every year. $193 billion lost, 27 work days a year. One in five are feeling this kind of heat. 43.8 million people in America are going to suffer from mental illness throughout this year. And the reality is 60% of those are left untreated or even unrecognized. You know, there is a Khalil on your subject. Uh, seems to be a lot of new age things about take care of your people and your business will thrive like it's brand new. Well, I know from my father's generation, my father's companies, that was always what they said. No, we want happy people that are bought in and got purpose and they ran very well. And, it, and it's true. So it is a profitable thing to take care of your people. Richard Branson said, I don't worry about my customers, I worry about my people. Right. And he's done all right in all his virgin enterprises. So uh, and there's another thing too. A lot of what you're talking about, getting people to come out and doing programs, all sounds expensive, right? Well, I mean, maybe it's not, maybe it's not, but it kind of sounds like, oh, there's another thing I got to do and get a director of and if you're a pretty small company. But what I tell people, it's like doing cash under the table jobs. Play by the rules. Do things right. Bid accordingly. If you have to bid more to have a uh, mental health certified person on your scene, then do that. Then do it. Do what you have to do. And, and one thing I would like to say here, because we're, kind of, we're kind of getting toward the end, but we have people listening to this driving to the job right now. They go, yeah, that's true. What is one thing that they can do, 
one thing that they can do to get started. Like, I've heard all that interesting stuff and it's made an impression, I don't remember any of those numbers, but I can go get started here. And one of the thrilling things to me was a certified mental health champion. I never heard of that. That may not be the place to start, but what would you say is one thing to do? You're gonna make me prioritize something, but that's kind of, that's, that's a challenge <laughs> for Greg in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, this is be courageous. I, I'm gonna go back to your point a moment ago, Mark. If your mindset is that this is an expense you can't cover, change it to this is an investment you can't afford not to make. You know, if, if your mindset is everybody's okay, then ask if, find out if they are. If, if your mindset is, is that it'll never happen in my shop, Look at the stats online because it's happening across America today. If you're driving your pickup truck, if you're sitting at your home on a Saturday afternoon, if you're on the treadmill, the elliptical, the bicycle, listening to this podcast today, I'm just going to say it's going to take some courage for you to get off that thing and say, are you okay? And then hang out long enough to find out if they are. And the moment you start doing that, you start developing that culture that Kali said a moment ago, that culture, Peter Drucker said this, okay? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Meaning, don't pat yourself on the back because you got an EAP program. Don't pat yourself up because you got a sign on the front gate. How about rolling up your sleeves and getting out there with them and asking the workforce, is everything all right in your world? And if I need you to help me figure out how I can help make it better. Because at the end of the day, our responsibility is to create the conditions for the millions of men and women that work in our industry to go home, not only safe at the end of the day, but healthy. And that healthy is a lot of different things. It's mentally healthy, it's physically healthy, it's great habits, it's great knowledge, it's great wisdom. So have some courage to get out and walk in the place where it's uncomfortable. And like you said earlier on, Martin, I've never heard a person of, a, of an instance or because you asked somebody if they had suicidal thoughts or ideologies, that being the catalyst that pushed them over. Matter of fact, the reason they'll stop is because you asked. Are you having, yeah, I am. Okay, man, you need to freeze where you're at. And I'm not an expert at this, but I can get you the assistance you need. Resources are available at ABC, on our website at abc.org. Resources are available at preventconstructionsuicide.com. Those are places and spaces that if you don't know where to start, go to those websites because a lot of that is already there. A lot of it is available for you. And we'll put those in the show notes. So, right, Cliff, yeah. that's what you yeah. usually say. We'll get them in the show notes so people can find them. Um, yeah. Man, this has been a really valuable conversation, Greg, one of our deeper topics here on the podcast, and I think it's meaningful to, to most of our listeners. So we appreciate the time that you give to uh, not just this podcast today, but just to this initiative overall, uh, because it is uh, an impactful one, and we appreciate the the uh, efforts that you make to help us across the nation. So, All yeah, thank right. you. I appreciate you. I'd like to like to say one more thing. I get yeah, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, no, go I have a dear friend of mine that tells a story on occasion about a young boy that's walking the beach with his grandmother early in the morning, and as the tide has gone back out. Uh, in the morning and it's kind of littered the beach with starfish and a little boy runs along he'll pick up a starfish and throw it over the crest of the wave and run to the next one and throw it over the crest of the wave and he's starting to do this to these starfish and there's a runner coming from the other end 
uh, off the horizon that walks up to him and he says, hey, little boy, what are you doing? He said, I'm throwing these starfish back into the, you know, over the crest of the wave so they can live another day. He said, man, the beach is littered with hundreds of thousands of these things. You'll never make a difference. And he picks up one starfish and he looks at the guy and goes, makes a difference to this one. And he throws it out there. And so you're wherever you're at today, make a difference to that one. And don't be afraid to do it. Great point, Absolutely. Greg. Great point. Man. Well, thank you so much, Greg. Appreciate you being on. And um, we'll, we'll definitely be following along as you continue to do the work that you do. I'm a friend. You guys take care. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.